Welcome to the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. I'm Ross. I'm Gordon. Hey, Gordon. We received a listener request, which means we've got a listener. One. At least. And this list listener has requested an episode on sharpening. So would you care to give the world a high-level definition of sharpening? I will try. I'm, I'm always intrigued by the fact that a high level is the same as the deep dive. I'm not entirely sure how that works out. But yes, I will try. You start from a very high diving board, <laughs> you go very deep in the pool. Yes, okay. So sharpening. One of those things that is sent to confuse us, I believe. Sharpening is an end result of a series of edits that are applied during the post-processing software uh, to make images appear more in focus or sharper. The effects of this thing are most evident in areas where there is a decent contrast between pixels and it has no real value in an area where there is little or no contrast uh, evident between the pixels. And apparently, this can be either a non-destructive process, as in Lightroom, or a destructive pixel level pro change, as in Photoshop and in various plugins. Well, the first thing I would say is, Destructive sounds bad. So can you elaborate on that, please? Destructive is bad. The changes that it brings about, the programs that bring about a destructive process, produce uh, a change at the pixel level. And once, it's essentially a non-retrievable process. So once you have changed something, it's gone. Uh, if it's a raw file, well, that's that's never actually changed, but you have a different file format. But if it's a JPEG and you haven't paid attention to how you uh, save the file, it is possible that those changes can be written over the original. And once changed, it is irretrievable. So because of the destructive nature of this process, uh, some educators and uh, the people in Photoshop themselves, they include sharpening as a filter and they recommend that it is done on layers and on a smart object. Now I've always had a bit of a trouble with the smart objects so maybe you could uh, talk about that. Okay, that's a fair point. I concur that the concept of destruction and smart objects and filters does confuse people. So as you already said, Photoshop is a pixel-based editor. When we change a pixel, that's the destructive process. We haven't necessarily destroyed the process. We've changed it from its original state. Anything that we do with pixels within a tool like a Photoshop is packaged within the Photoshop menus for the most, well, not everything, but 
let's say that sharpening, as an example, as opposed to resizing, shows up as a filter. So we're going to apply this filter that's going to create a change to those pixels. And those changes are destructive because, as you say, once they're applied, they can't be changed. This is inconvenient. And so what the architects at Photoshop did, or at Adobe did, within Photoshop, they created these entities called smart objects. Smart objects are like little boxes, they're containers. So when you take a layer that you're working on, perhaps the layer that you're gonna sharpen, and you make it a smart object, you're actually putting it in this little protected container. And by doing so, while the filter is still destructive, the filter isn't cooked inside the smart, ob smart object. So I could open that object and then reopen the filter or the plugin and make changes to the settings I've already made. If I don't put the layer in a smart object, once I save the initial changes from the filter, they're done. And I can't adjust them after the fact. Now, there are folks who still say smart objects are bad. Well, they increase the file size or they slow processing. These concerns, in my experience and my opinion, are not valid and pale in comparison to the value of being able to go back into a filter again and again to tweak it over and over until you are happy. It makes smart objects make Photoshop behave more like Lightroom. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, I didn't like what I did there. I'm going to move that slider and change it. It's a little bit more complicated than that. But if you're going to do any kind of editing in Photoshop, smart objects are awesome. There are instructors like Dave Cross, as an example, right. who has been encouraging users on smart objects for years. Right. And then you'll get other instructors and they'll never, ever bring it up. The presumption is that once you've done that, whatever it is you're changing, you're good to go for the rest of forever. But to your point, well, it's not. it could uh, be damaging. I remember seeing a video by Julian Yost, Cost, and I did not understand the whole concept of smart, project, uh, smart objects until I watched that one. And what I wasn't aware of is that as let's say you resize an, an image in, in Photoshop. Uh, if you haven't done this in a smart object and you increase the size back to the original, you will notice a tremendous loss of image quality because all the pixels that you've thrown away are gone. Right, they're not coming back. So all these things, it, it really makes Photoshop into a much more user-friendly system. I would concur. And uh, yeah, so I started using them exclusively now, but uh, for a long time, I didn't understand the concept at all. Well, and I think that's part of the challenge. People don't use smart objects in Photoshop because they're not clear on what the value proposition is. Mm -hmm. Now I want to come back to something you said earlier when you were talking about sharpening specifically you said that sharpening shows best in areas where you have contrast and not in areas where you have low contrast where the pixels are pretty much identical side by side how do you mean it's not it's not 
technically making anything sharper. It's just giving you the perception that you can visually see the edges uh, better than you could before. And it does that if you have two pixels side by side, one is bright, one is dark, but maybe only just a little bright and a little dark. So there is a blurring in, in between the two. So what the sharpening process done is, does is it takes the dark pixel and makes it darker and the light pixel and makes it lighter. And the perception to your eye is that this portion has become sharper and more distinct. If you have the sky or a large leaf which is filling the frame, the pixels are all green, uh, sharpening will do absolutely nothing for you at that point. In fact, it could give you make, make it worse. of noise. Because it, I'm trying I, to change I, the I contrast. Think it's, yeah, I think it struggles harder. If it can't find the contrast... It'll uh, make some. It'll, hey, okay, you, do, you give me a job to do. You know, if I, it's a make-work project, well, let me make work. And that is noise. Now, in Lightroom, we have multiple sharpening controls but a lot of these other applications only have one slider for sharpening. You drag to the right and you get more sharpening, but you also get a lot more artifacts. Why is Lightroom more useful for most people? Well, I think just for that reason. Uh, you have control over various aspects uh, of, the, of the entire process. Lightroom provides you with the ability in a, in a particular slider that they call masking. And it allows you to define which part of that image you wish the sharpening process to apply to. So if you move, when you first touch the sharpening uh, or the masking slider, you see an entire grayed out screen. And I say grayed out uh, with the proviso that to see the grade effect, you must hold down either Alt uh, on a PC or the Option key on a on a Mac, and you'll see the grayed out uh, area, but you don't see any detail. As you shift your slider to the right, the detail becomes apparent, and the parts that you want to be sharpened, show up as a white outline, the rest of the image will show up as black. And it will also show you all the noise that is in your image. So you can choose to apply sharpening at a level where it will not affect the noise, but will produce the effects you want on a, the particular subject you have chosen. So that really does make it simple for you to sharpen the edges and not the stuff where there's no contrast. Yes. And again, this is, this is another one of those things that I, I didn't quite have a good handle on, but I'm getting to be much more uh, proficient with it. After that, it allows you, the, the other slider just above that, allows you to select how much sharpening you want. You can select where you want it to go, and then you can adjust how much you want it to sharpen. 
And one of the big caveats of sharpening is that an over-sharpened image probably looks significantly worse than an under-sharpened image. But from everything we've talked about, is this sharpening process only increasing the contrast between adjacent pickles, pixels, or is there something more? And let's talk at a high level. It looks like it's all about contrast, but good sharpening is doing much more complex mathematics. There's an old school of thought from when basic sharpening was nothing more than local contrast increases. And that's where we got this idea that it's just contrast. Sharpening is much more than that now. The most common sharpening used for years, and we see that as well in Photoshop, because one of the sharpening filters still is still around, and it's called the unsharp mask. Now, what the unsharp mask is, is literally Photoshop makes a duplicate of the image and applies a Gaussian blur to it. Then it overlays the blurred image on top of the original, combines them, and uses subtraction blending in order to create this perception of a sharper image. Now the controls for this kind of sharpening are typically amount, how much sharpening am I gonna get? Threshold, where does the luminosity difference need to be before sharpening starts to happen? And radius, radius is really how big the pixel spacing has to be for sharpening to work. And typically we see the radius set to being just under a pixel, to exactly the size of the pixel, to just bigger than the pixel. If we go too far either way, we start to get these halo effects. Uh, and that's unpleasant. The challenge with unsharp mask is that it tends to increase noise. Now, unsharp mask still exists because I'm pretty sure that if Adobe took it away, even though it's not great, there would be pitchforks and torches. What they've effectively replaced it with is called smart sharpening. And what smart sharpening does is it adds the same kind of mask as the masking slider in Lightroom. So it's basically a global control over where sharpening is going to happen. With this model, excess sharpening can still increase noise, but it's only going to appear where the sharpening takes place. The big difference is in Lightroom, you have complete control over the density of the mask. With smart sharpening, you don't have quite as much control. These tools, specifically smart sharpening, work pretty well in general, but it's also still an older technology and more advanced methodologies are now available. So I, I remember reading somewhere, and it was driven home to me by one another photographer who was attending a session of some kind. And he mentioned that he had used the sharpening tool, brush, pen, whatever, in Photoshop, to produce the sharpening in his image, and he was quite happy with it. And the instructor just tore a strip off him about how it was such a bad tool, and there was this 
high plus sharpening that had to be applied and as far as I could make out he wanted to apply it in more than one uh, more than one point in the post-processing uh, flow and uh, well I, I had one big advantage I had no idea what high pass sharpening meant but uh, it seemed to be something that was used a lot and, and it's true high pass sharpening was used a lot in the past and folks who like it adhere to it okay I still people know people whose first experience with sharpening was high pass and they still think it's the best option out there. That may not be actually true, but sometimes you can't convince people to try something different. Mm -hmm. It's an older form of sharpening and it was a fair bit of work, but it achieved better results in images that had high levels of detail okay. than the old unsharp mask. Okay. Remember I said unsharp masking is also old. Mm -hmm. High pass sharpening is an alternative method. Okay. The reality is that smart sharpening in Photoshop or the sharpening that's built into Lightroom are both going to deliver you better sharpening final results than either high pass or unsharp mask. It works. But, but it's certainly not the future of sharpening. Yeah, I was just going to say, so uh, is what we're dealing with now the way it's going to be? Or do you see that things are going to get bigger, better, faster, more complex? Where, where are we going with this entire sharpening process? Well, the reality is technology is moving ahead, always. Mm -hmm. We have more powerful computers now than we've ever had. And... Frankly, the code is getting better too. Mm -hmm. The ability to create multidimensional matrices and very complex algorithms allow us to do more complex math. And we've got better GPUs and CPUs to able to, you know, complete this before, you know, the sun burns itself out. There is a more advanced model and it's called deconvolution. It's complex and it's not Even. quick until relatively recently deconvolution was used for astrophotography very small stuff at a great distance high detail right and photomicrography okay very small stuff right. up close lots of detail so if you're doing sharpening of scans or insect eyes and that sort of thing right it would work, deconvolution works better than the other options. Deconvolution can also correct for micro-movement. Okay. And it can also do amazing work when the focus is just not there. Okay. That requires a lot of math. Now, in the perfect sense, deconvolution takes the optical structure of the lens maps all of its distortions and then writes an algorithm that reverses each distortion. Jesus. We're never going to do that for photography. No. Because there's just too no. many lenses. There's too many variables. So the deconvolution that we see in sharpening software is an estimate 
based on recorded samples. That's not a bad thing because we know that estimates based on recorded samples, when the sample size is significant, produces really good results. Right. Why does full auto work so well? Right. When we can't, when it comes to exposure. Because yeah. the sample right. size is tens of millions of images. We have that same capability now to apply to the concepts behind deconvolution. What's amazing is that the outcome can be absolutely stunning because we're not changing contrast. Okay, yeah. We're not mm -hmm. changing the contrast between the pixels. And because we're not changing the contrast, we're adding no noise. Right. We're actually working with what is really there. But it's processor intense. And the average editor, photo editor, may not be willing to wait the time it takes to apply this algorithm right. to each image. So consider it, what if Lightroom does perfect a perfect job for you? You're happy 90 or 95% of the time. For those others, that's where you might go to a more sophisticated sharpening tool. Right. I don't necessarily believe you need it for every shot because we've got really good autofocus and we've got good tools and right. we've got tripods and all kinds of stuff that for the most part are going to get us there. But for the times that something didn't work out exactly right, you had micro movement, you had a, your focus is a tiny bit off. Deconvolution sharpening can really change the game. And that, as I see it, I mean, it, it's wonderful, but it's hard to conceive what what sort of situation would you be in that your image is either that bad or that important that you would have to spend that amount of time and effort to affect a micro change in your image? Well, I think of it very much for where I've used it most often, birds in flight. Okay. Tight headshots. Okay. On a, on, on a critter. Right. Not a human. Because, and let's use owls as an example. They've got all these little micro pin feathers around the eyeball. Right. I want the eye sharp, but I want those pin feathers pack sharp too. Right. Now, by the nature of the creature... I might get a little bit of motion blur. Mm -hmm. I might get a little camera shake. And the head of the owl is moving. Right. And I might be drifting in and out of focus. Right. Another use that I would have for it is if, I, if I'm building an image for focus stacking. Okay. And I'm not using a rail. Right. Or I've misjudged my focus changes, my distance changes. Right. I can see some real value in this. Okay. And again, whether that is representative of perhaps a pen and ink drawing, you know, or like a stamp, where I've got very, very fine detail. We keep coming back to the super fine detail where deconvolution was really first used. I find it makes a real difference. Okay. Now, I'm not saying everybody needs it, but for those who get picky, it's the next step.
beyond what Lightroom can do. Okay. This struck me when you were talking about the various aspects of what, what sharpening does. If you go through the choices for sharpening in Photoshop, they are quite mind-boggling as to what they will actually allow you to do. Yeah, you can. A... Um, well, you can sharpen things. You can blur things. You can sh- uh, either increase or decrease the Gaussian blur. You can uh, uh, remove micro shake. You can motion camera lens motion. So you 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 need an entire course in just yeah, what yeah. the and, various. And a lot. We also have to remember that a lot of the things in Photoshop have been there for a long time. Mm-hmm. and haven't changed. I never sharpen in Photoshop. Okay. I use Lightroom for sharpening because it's as good. It's certainly easier. And if Lightroom sharpening won't do it, Photoshop sharpening isn't going to do it either, and that's when I need to move to a different tool. Right. So what process do you use for your routine sharpening workflow? I'm kind of boring because I try to make things consistent. Okay, fair enough. And so I said that I use Lightroom for most of my sharpening. Yes. I think a lot of folks do that. But I've got to practice. It's not a preset because every image is different. But I follow the same process every time. I'd never change the radius to be larger or smaller than one pixel. Only because when I've experimented with it, I didn't gain anything in general. And I also find that Adobe sample set for where the threshold is by default works really well for most everything that I do. Okay. I could spend days playing with the threshold slider. I haven't spent days, but I have done spent hours on it. Mm-hmm. And I've not found that I've got a better result as a consequence of futzing with the slider, even though it's there. So what I do, leave the radius at one, threshold at the the default, and I'm going to test the sharpening in Lightroom really quick. I move the sharpening slider to 80. Okay. Regardless of the image. The image doesn't matter because I want to now control the edges. Right. And so now I'm spending my time not with the sharpening slider, but with the masking slider. Okay. Controlling what gets sharpened and what does not get sharpened. My goal, this is for me, it's not true for everybody, I only want to sharpen the edges. I don't want to look at the image after the fact and go, oh yeah, that's been sharpened. Right. I I mean, I look at sharpening the way I look at fill flash. If I Mm -hmm. can tell it's been done, I failed. Right. I don't want that crunchy look, you know, that you get with over sharpening. So I'm going to min- spend my time working with the masking slider. Okay. And then when it's I'm done that, I'm going to move the sharpening slider from 80 to 120. Okay. If Lightroom sharpening is going to work for me, that works every time. If it's not looking the way I want at that point, I don't futz around. I make the decision 
I'm not sharpening in Lightroom. All right. So if Lightroom sharpening is not doing it for me, then I have a decision to make. And I've come to the point, and I'm not saying this is right for everybody, but I've come to the point where I say, okay, dump everything I've done in Lightroom. Every bit of editing I've done. Right. I'm going to go back to Lightroom's working version of my raw file. Okay. And I'm going to send it direct, unedited. Okay. So you send the original, you don't say... Effectively the original. Okay. And I'm going to send that to Topaz Sharpen AI. Interesting. Because it uses deconvolution match. Mm. I would say that the folks at Topaz, because their whole focus is on photography plugins, have done the best job I've ever seen. Okay. They deal with the micro shake. They deal with misfocus, minor misfocus. I don't mean like I blew the focus by a foot. Right. That's never getting fixed. Right. Is not getting fixed. That's right. But I blew the focus by two millimeters. Maybe it is. And what I like about that's good. Eh? What I like about Sharpen AI is it has a number of recipes that you can choose. I need it sharper, or I need to fix micro focus, or I need to fix micro shake. And they have recipes predefined. You choose them, and then they are editable. Okay. They're tweakable. Okay. The recipe is kind of like a preset. It gets you to the starting gate. Mm-hmm. And then you finish it from there. Right. I don't find, and one of the things I like about it is because I'm impatient, I don't want to spend an hour. I don't want to spend 10 minutes. And Sharpen AI, at this point in time, as we record this in May 2022 gets me to the best place with the greatest efficiency. And yes, I do have to wait for it to calculate. And that may take five seconds. And if it's a full 50 megapixel image, it may take longer. Right. So there's a patience requirement on my part. But once it's completed and I found something I like, I'm just going to save that back to Lightroom as a TIFF. Okay. I'm not saving it back to Lightroom as a JPEG because that's going to be a disaster. So Lightroom sends raw file to AI. Well, it sends its version of the raw file, a DNG, basically. Sends that off to Sharpen AI. Right. Sharpen AI does its processing. Right. And then I send that back to Lightroom. It's a new file now. Right. I still have my original, but I have a new file that's in a TIFF format. Okay. Why TIFF? Because there's no loss. Okay. So it's, it's, a, a, lossless it's a lossless process. file format. Okay. Now I've got a, all the data, and I can edit it as I wish in Lightroom. Okay. Now, once I've done this, it sounds like I've done all the work, but really I've only done half of the sharpening. Right. Because I've done what's called as what we refer to is raw sharpening or input sharpening or pre-sharpening. Okay. That's another thing that uh, nobody actually talks about. And then you go to a program and it says, oh, look, we got a pre-sharpener. Really? What am I supposed to do with that? 
So it's not, it's not well it's not well talked about or well covered. Right. So think about it this way: Do you use Lightroom sharpening? I do. Great. You're pre-sharpening. Okay. So pre-sharpens. It's the same thing. Okay. So you know, like in Nick, they've got a raw sharpener and an output sharpener. Correct. That's where I was coming from. The raw sharpener is the same thing as Lightroom sharpening. Okay. Now I don't know. I, I think their tool is called Define. Define too, yes. And I'm licensed for it. I own it. And I found it pretty good when it first came out. And I don't find it's changed Okay. since then. In my opinion, it doesn't do as good a job as Sharpen AI. And Lightroom Sharpening does as good or if not better than Define. So I don't use it anymore. Whereas six, seven years ago, I used it all the time. Mm -hmm. Because it has not, in my opinion, it has not evolved to the state that Lightroom's own sharpening has evolved to. So you're correct. There are multiple types of sharpening. Output sharpening is what we do when we are exporting a file. Okay. Now, why would I export a file? Well, I'm going to, well, I'm not going to. But someone might display it on social media. Right. I might put it in a portfolio that's viewed on a screen. Right. I might put it into a file that I'm going to have printed by a printing house because I need it printed bigger than I can do myself. Okay. Or I'm going to need a volume of prints that doesn't make sense to do myself. No, a hundred copies of the same image for whatever reason. So in that case, I've got my finished edited image, but now I've got to make it ready for its next step in life. And its next step in life is output sharpening. Right. Now this is super easy in Lightroom. Because if it's going on screen, I'm going to export as a JPEG. Right. Right, mm -hmm. And in the Lightroom export dialog box, I have an actual little section called output sharpening. Okay. No, I've never actually seen that because I never actually thought about using and that. And that's okay. But we should. Because in that part of that export dialog, I'll just go down to output sharpening. And if I'm outputting for screen use, I have two options. I mm -hmm. choose screen. Right. And I have three options in terms of how much sharpening. I take it all. Always high. Okay. And if I'm outputting for print, I could choose it right there. Export for print with print sharpening, high. But because I typically, if I'm outputting for print, I'm sending it to a company that is going to take into account the ICC profile that I've edited for. Right where I know what paper they're printing on. Right. And so I'll do the export from Lightroom print dialog. Uh, and I was just going to ask you about that because, so the export process is not necessarily different, but geared to a different usage than going through the print preparation process Oh, absolutely. Okay, so those are those are two different yeah, kettles like, of fish. Like if I was just going to, respectfully, if I was just going to run 100 4x6s at Staples, right. 
you know, out of one of those Kodak machines. I'm not going to export that from Lightroom's print dialog because I have no control. Okay, sure enough. Over what inks or whether it's film or however the hell they're doing it. Right. I will just use export, regular file export, output sharpening, for print, full load. Okay. And it's going to work great. Okay. But if I'm sending it off to Miller Services or or Whitewall, I'm having it printed on a specific kind of paper. And I will have edited it for that kind of paper. And so I will do the export from Lightroom's print, ex, print dialog. And I learned another thing. And, and that works great. Now, these modes work for me. Not everybody may choose to use them, particularly exporting from the print dialog. But in general, everybody should be using output sharpening when they export from Lightroom. And it's so freaking easy. In fact, it's easier than exporting from Photoshop because Lightroom is more user-friendly. They work for me. What do you do? That's not really a fair question because everything I've learned about sharpening and editing has come from you. So that's almost like asking you. But uh, but you're right. I, I am a conservative as far as sharpening goes. At some point, I learned about... When you import an image, you set up a preset that uh, adds 50% sharpening, <laughs> which from our conversation today, I find out is essentially the same as the pre-sharpening process. Well, it is pre-sharpening. And from what uh, Lightroom does when you open an image for sharpening, it's already added this stuff, so that's, that's also the pre-sharpening. So even though that's, that was my practice and I haven't changed it, it seems to be uh, an unnecessary step at this point. Oh. You are correct that Lightroom is going to apply some level of pre-sharpening automatically without asking you. Okay. Now, does it do that only to raw files or does it do that to whatever mode you bring it in? It does it to whatever you okay. feed it. Uh, okay. Again, best practice based on millions of samples. Right. Right. They're not trying to trick you, but... No, but they're doing it themselves uh, as yeah. opposed to before when they maybe weren't doing it themselves. The one thing we didn't talk about is, or I don't think we talked about is, uh, in the process of sharpening, you should bring the image up to its maximum maximum size so that you can see all the fine changes in the masking and the the width of the halo around around the subject, be it a bird's beak or the bird's tail or whatever, but work in maximum maximum size. Well, work at a hundred percent. Hundred percent. Full size. Full size. Or native size. Does it go size. higher than that? Or? Oh, sure. You could go to three hundred percent. Okay. You no, go no, to six hundred percent. I know some people who do. But I, no. And 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 so do I. And. If it makes them happy, great, but they're artificially seeing stuff that's not there, right? Because Lightroom has to do a, a extrapolation to show you something at 300%. Mm -hmm. So go to 100%. I do. I just forgot to mention it, and you do it too. I, I, I do it, yes. And that's, uh, and that's perfect. Next thing, since I don't want the sharpening applied to everything else, I do use the masking tool. I won't do any sharpening without it because I have no idea what I'm doing with it. And like I said, very conservative. 
you mentioned that you go to you start at 80 and then you go up to 120 yep and when i first started working with you i thought you were more conservative in how oh, much yes. you would go Something i used to start at 40 and end at 80 right so what changed lightroom changed ah their okay. sharpening algorithms improved and I found that I could use more of their pre-sharpening without creating excessive halos or edges that I could, you know, cut myself on. Right. And it works better. So I've actually gone and looked at images that I did in older versions of Lightroom. Right. And they looked okay, but I opened them in the new version of Lightroom and I can and I find in the new engine I can push Lightroom sharpening a lot harder than I could old versions of Lightroom. So I've modified my choices based on the software changing. Okay. But you're right. When you and I first started working together, I never went higher than 80 points because it would then, the image would start to degrade. You, you would start seeing all kinds of things you didn't you would see, see. You would see artifacts that made it look at proper viewing distance that Oh my goodness, somebody has really oversharpened this. Yeah. And I'm not saying that my settings would work in any other software. The settings I'm using work in Lightroom. Right. If I'm doing sharpening in Capture One, that's a whole different, different, different ball fish. game. Okay. The other question I, I have from working with both systems is. These slider indications on the sliders in Lightroom and the sliders in Photoshop are different. I can't answer that because I don't you, use you Lightroom. Don't use I don't use sharpening in Photoshop. Okay. They could very well be because they come from a different starting point. And I, I don't know if it applies to the new camera raw, which is apparently the same as, essentially the same as Lightroom. Essentially the same, but remember that Camera Raw is a filter. Okay. It's not the same as Lightroom. The effects may look the same, but Lightroom is writing a recipe in an XML right. file separate from the original. Right. Camera Raw is a filter. Okay. Unless you put the Camera Raw in a smart object bucket or right. a box or whatever, it is destructive you can't make changes unless it, you create it right. inside a smart object i i used to notice that i i went up to about you know maybe 100 120 is the sliders in lightroom but when i got to photoshop or i heard gelby i think at one point in time saying oh i take my sharpening up to about 120 to start with and i'm sitting there saying really so what's different? But okay, you you have explained that they're not the same, and the they don't translate exactly from one to they're the not, other. They're, they're not concept is the same, execution is not exactly the same. And uh, well, I think that's pretty much all I got there. Okay, fair enough. Well then, thanks for participating as usual. I'm only too happy to cause confusion where I can. For the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast, I'm Ross. I'm Gordon. We'll speak to you again real soon.